0: Welcome to Element. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. If you are new, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on the communion tables throughout the room. They're actually in color this morning, which is a bonus. If you're new, when you come back next week, they probably won't be in color. So. Take it while you got it. Uh, if you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It's called Uversion. You click on Live and Uversion, It'll bring us up by GPS in your smartphone. You will get sermon notes and the verses because there's a few of them this morning and questions as well that you can talk to your family about or friends about and, and walk through some of this. Uh, I have one thing to tell you about as we begin. The last couple of weeks, I've had a ton of people asking me questions like, what do you think about the Bible? And I'm like, the Bible's awesome. And they're like, no, 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 like the, the TV show, the Bible. And I'm like... Oh. <laughs> Here you go. Um, there, there's this cartoon that I like, and sometimes they make fun of certain things, and I won't name it because people would be offended if I did. Uh, but in the middle of this cartoon, they, they talked this thing about the History Channel, and they said, the History Channel, where the truth is history. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Look, you're the second service, actually the third, so you should be awake. But anyway, uh. Here's the deal. Don't get all your truth from the TV. You know, I don't care what production values are. If someone can show you the Bible in 10 hours, it's not the whole Bible. All right. If you really want to know what the Bible says, you should read it. It would be awesome. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there you go. Just uh, read the scriptures. Uh, they, they make so much uh, more sense. Watch stand on me. Reading the God's word. We'll get started here. This is Luke 24, verse six. And it says, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would make us as a people, those who understand and live and walk resurrection, that we would live these lives that show who you are and what you have done, the work that you have started and finished. And I ask that you be glorified in all things. Amen. Have a seat. So this is Easter. It is an epic, epic story. At Element, we have spent over the last year in the book of Genesis, and we're not going to finish for another few months, but Easter is literally the culmination of all of these stories coming together. Uh, If you go to a lot of churches on Easter, they try to give you like, oh, let's make everybody feel good and give you some fluff. Well, this is element and we're always doing something weird and different. And today we're calling this message the theology of Easter, because some of you guys, I will only get once or twice a year. I don't want you to hear the same thing every time you come. So I'm going to give you some theology. You're going to hopefully walk out of here a little smarter. I don't want to lose you in the midst of any of this, but I just might. That's my warning. Uh, Heads up. Um, So we're going to go two terms this morning. The terms are resurrection and ascension. Because you have to understand that Easter, it's not about bunnies and not about hiding eggs, any, even when they're awesome and they have milk duds in the middle of them. You know, it's, it's not all about that. Uh, Easter is about Jesus. Uh, the book of Hebrews says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And Jesus heads into Jerusalem at the beginning of Passion Week, which is the week that preceded this one. And he comes in and everybody's going like, this is the Messiah, yay, he's awesome. And by the end of the week, they're yelling, crucify him. And Jesus goes to a Cross, He bleeds for you and I through his shedding of blood. We have forgiveness of sins. And on the third day, he rises from the dead, and that is Easter. If you have a Bible, you can open to uh, Luke chapter 24. This is one of my favorite renditions of this, and it goes like this. Luke 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they, and they is referring to women because apparently even Sundays then, dudes still like to sleep in. They went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, because you would be perplexed at going into where a a rock was in front of a hole, and there's a dead body in there, and now there's not one there. It's kind of perplexing. Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Now, the way this is supposed to work has been, you know, just our general experience as of today. When somebody dies, they stay dead, right? Okay, for the four of us, the rest of you have something different, right? What? No, okay, we're all on the same page, right? Somebody dies, they, they stay dead. This, this is our, how it's supposed to work. It's not a Stephen King novel. You know, we didn't bury your uncle, your grandma, and certainly not Jesus in the pet cemetery. So, he, so he's not coming back. What happens, though, th- this is something different. You know, we're, so, we're solid about how death works, but a resurrection comes along and it says, no, the rug's been pulled out, everything doesn't work the same as you think. And so when we talk about the resurrection, the he is not here, but has risen, you've got to talk about what it is. Because a lot of people think it simply means life after you die. We think resurrection is life after this life. And resurrection may include that, but it's about so much more. Now, if you went to somebody 2,000 years ago, or even today, and you said, after this life, you keep on going. Most general people will say, oh yeah, I totally agree with that. It's not shocking, it's not perplexing. So this whole idea in resurrection, that they were so perplexed, it means that there's something more actually going on in the midst of it. Resurrection is something that lies at the heart of the Christian story. It is more than life after death. In Luke 24, verse 39, Jesus shows up to some of his followers and he says, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. So he's saying, you know what, I'm not just a spirit creature, I'm actually real. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, and while they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? Because apparently when you rise from the dead, you get hungry. Okay? (laughs) So his post-resurrection occurrences are filled with all of these flesh and blood things. Mary thinks he's the gardener, and it's not until he says, Mary, I'm not the gardener, she's like, oh my goodness. Jesus, he meets some disciples, they're walking down the road to Emmaus, they're talking about all the stuff that just happened in Jerusalem, and he takes this trip and he walks with them and talks with them, and it's not until they break bread together and they go, we're well, our hearts not burning within us, do they realize, man, this is Jesus, which means it's a very physical resurrection, but it's also something different, because those who knew him the best and were with him the most did not recognize him at first. It is something completely new. Resurrection does not mean a disembodied evacuation to some other place. It's about this world. It's about this life. And it's physical. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 6, the Apostle Paul says, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received: that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That means it starts all the way back in the book of Genesis, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. It's like, if you have questions, there's like over 500 people that saw him. Go and talk to them. Resurrection is about a new kind of physical life that's active and engaged in this world. At one point, the disciples are on a boat, and Jesus shows up and he says, Hop off the boat. Come on over. I made breakfast. It's amazing. Resurrection is an affirmation of the physical and apparently breakfast as well. It is flesh and bones and forgiveness and grace. And the big story is not that someday you and I are going to evacuate this trailer park called earth. We're going to abandon all this. It's that God has not abandoned this place. And he has done something new to fix the issues that are here, to redeem this world, to reconcile it, to bring heaven to earth here, now. Genesis starts here. Revelation ends here. We're called to be a people on mission here. It starts in a garden and a river and trees and a city and Jesus and you and I redeemed, restored, reconciled the world that God has not given up on. Resurrection is not a celebration that we're not going to be left behind. It's an affirmation of God's good creation that was in serious trouble and God came and redeemed it with Jesus and an empty tomb. And if you follow Jesus, you're meant to see that creation bursting forth now because resurrection announces a new creation that is bursting forth in the midst of this one. Resurrection is an affirmation that the physical created world is actually a good thing, that bone and flesh and bread and wine and embraces and kisses are all good things. Resurrection declares that this world matters to God. What you think matters, how you live matters, how you treat other people actually matters, how we worship God matters. And resurrection gives us the resources and inspires us to care for our neighbors in our own neighborhoods, in our city, in our state, in our nation, and the world around us because what we do goes on after us into eternity and it starts with an empty tomb. Now, we are invited to take part in this resurrection now, and the early Christians, they kept coming up with words and metaphors to explain all of this, that life is rooted and grounded here. And So they had these words and these verses for this, He is not here, He is risen. And uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 1.3, According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. New birth. Now, my friends in the Cools walked in this morning, and I said, I said, oh, wait, you got a baby. Go sit in the front row. So let me show you something. Oh, <laughs> oh he, now he's going to cry, huh? Okay, this is Isaac. Everybody say hi. Yeah, I mean, if you're stuck behind a pillar in the back, you're just like, oh, this is awesome. Oh, this is, because we love babies, because, because babies only know love and provision, Right, they haven't known this dark night of the soul where they question their existence. <laughs> you no, know, th- th- seriously, babies' lives are all in front. There's nothing behind them. I mean, what are they going to do? What, what will they? I mean, he, he could be president of the United States. He could go to Washington, teach him how to balance a budget. <laughs> right? He could could reinvent music so country music and boy bands just disappear. (laughs) What an awesome kid. He can maybe invent a system where you and I can drive through town and not hit red lights everywhere we go. What's he going to do? What's he going to love? What's he going to give birth to? It is all open and wonder and possibility. Everything in front of him, nothing behind him, except for being totally scarred at element because I (laughs) lifted him up. But that is one of the central metaphors that the early church used to talk about resurrection. It is new birth. It is new life. Everything becomes open and new. Everything in your life is in front of you. It is a fresh day, a new day, a Sunday, the first day of a new creation. That's what it is. Five years ago, we started Element. And what we wanted to do is be a church that lifted up a compelling image of who Jesus Christ was. We want to take all the junk off Jesus' name. We want to connect people into new communities and help them grow and learn to live new life on mission. Because that's what the early church taught. But they didn't immediately get that or understand that. What set them to understanding that was a second word I want to give you this morning, which is this word called ascension. That's what set them to understanding it. At the end of Luke 24, it talks about Jesus' ascension into heaven. The book of Acts, chapter 1, flushes this out even more. Acts 1, verses 6 through 11 says this, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Will you at this time push out all of our enemies, make us the rulers of the earth? Are you going to do that now because you died and rose from the dead? No one can take you out. This is the time. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times of the seasons so that the father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's like, no, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you out. That's what I'm going to do. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Now, there are three events in Jesus' life that get all the publicity, right? We got the birth, Christmas. Oh, we love Christmas. Oh, don't we? Okay, for most of us, we like Christmas. The rest of you, Scrooges, whatever. Okay, all right? And And then the next thing is the death. Right. We we Good Friday. Uh, people wear crosses. A lot of churches. Well, you put crosses up somewhere. Sorry. Um, <laughs> not that we have a problem with it. I'm just whatever. OK. And then and then you have the, the resurrection. You have Easter Sunday. We all gather. You feel like you got to go to church. You know, that, that's that's what it is. But what is what does ascension fit in? I mean, you got holidays and greeting cards for all these things. But did you ever try and find an ascension card. Happy ascension day. You, you, you can't find them. And if it was celebrated, it would be 40 days after Easter. But it's very important to the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Just like it's stupid to make a house that no one's going to live in, or we live next to a military base, so it's dumb to make a bunker-busting bomb. You're not going to put a detonator on, because the, re- the ascension is the detonator to all of Christ's work. Timothy Keller says this, The birth, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ are of no use without the ascension because the ascension is the detonator for everything else Jesus Christ did. See, the ascension releases Christ's power into our lives. So I want to show you how these things go together. When when the ascension happens, the, the angels look at the apostles standing there and they say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? The angels are making a rebuke. Because they're like, Jesus, are you going to go and restore the kingdom to Israel and beat up all of our enemies? That'll be awesome. And Jesus goes, nope, see ya. And they're like, What? what? what's he doing? Where is he going? This is horrible. Because they were thinking that, the ab- that this was going to be the absence of Jesus, the loss of his leadership. So they stood there just staring like, what is going on? But the angels say, if you're not filled with excitement and joy, then you've missed the point of what just happened. Now, at the end of the book of Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, he brings this whole story together and wishes it together so you understand that they got it. Because the book of Acts is them beginning to live this call that they understood. In Luke 24, 52, it says, And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. The book of Acts lets you know that that was after the angels' admonition, that they went back into the world like these lightning rods. The ascension detonates us to understand and live resurrection. The ascension is not the loss of his leadership and majesty. It is the magnification of it. And unless we understand this, Jesus Christ ascended to God's majesty on high, we will sit or stand or stare where we think God is supposed to be and not be living where he calls us to be. See, in English, you have this word ascension. It has this double meaning. If you go to a lot of countries today, they have a single ruler, and those rulers have a chair or a throne. And if you could go all Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible, and go past the lasers and the security guards and all the caution tape, you could literally walk up and ascend a throne. You could do, 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 do you know, and get up there, and you'd sit down, and then you'd be promptly arrested. But you can make it up there, and you can sit down, but sitting on the throne doesn't really do anything. Because ascending the throne is not something that we call spatially oriented. When a ruler ascends a throne, what they do is they change the relationship to everything around them. And so when Jesus ascends, it's not space travel. You know, the first cosmonaut, Yuri Gagorin, who is Russian, not American, in case you didn't know that, comes back from space, and this is what he says. I looked, and there was no evidence of heaven or God. He must have been watching a show on the History Channel to figure out the Bible because he totally missed the point. Biblically, that's not what heaven means. It's not spatially oriented. God does not live in the clouds, the heavens. and Heaven can be translated as sky, but it means so much more. God does not relate to us like a homeless guy who snuck into your attic and is living there while you're on the first floor. That's not how God does it. God relates to you and I like an author of a play an author of a play, they create their own universe. And if the characters in a play were actually living, breathing people, then the only way for them to ever know about the author is if the author writes themselves into the play. Because the author lives in a whole different realm. And the people in the play, they can't run to the sound booth or run out backstage to find some new truth. They only know what the author wants them to know. And the reason any of us know anything about God is he himself wrote himself into his story and so when he resurrects and he ascends it doesn't mean he goes to another part of the stage or another part of the universe in luke 2551 it says while he blessed them he parted from them and was carried up into heaven it's not that he went to live in another part of the universe it's now that he has a different relationship to the entire universe. He takes upon himself a body. He understands what it means to be human. He lives a perfect life. He died and rose from the dead, so death is defeated, and he ascended. And if he existed now only in one time, in one space, he'd be stuck in that one time and space at a time, and you'd have to go and find, where's Jesus? Well, I better go find him. Oh, where's he at today? I've got to make an appointment and show up. That's what we would have to do. But what the scriptures teach us, he goes out of time and space. He's not taken up into the heavens. He's just taken up into heaven. And the Bible gets you to understand this by saying that he is now on the throne. He can now take anything he ever did or ever said and make it applicable to us. He is our shepherd and our substitute and our mediator and our sacrifice. And he now has relationship to the entire creation where he can take all the benefits of everything he ever said and everything he ever did and take it to everyone, everywhere, at any time. Now Mary, when Jesus rises from the dead and she realizes he's not the gardener, she grabs on to him. She holds on to him. I'm never going to let you go, Jesus. I'm going to keep my hands on you. And what does Jesus say to her in John 20, verse 17? Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. The literal Greek rendering of this is, I am ascending to my Father. In our first reading, a lot of people take this and they think, oh, well, Jesus is saying, don't touch me. I'm like a spirit creature. Uh, I'm patient zero. You're going to burst into flames. Uh, look out. What's going to happen? And, but we know that's not true because in Luke 24 and Matthew 28, people do grab a hold of him. He's got no problem with it. He eats with people. He tells Thomas, you know, stick your hand in the hole here in the, in my side. I'm a real person. You can, you can touch me and, and see. So what is he actually saying to Mary? What he's saying is, Mary, you don't understand. You've got to let go. I am ascending because when I ascend, you will never lose me again. If I stay here, I'm going to be stuck in one spot at one time. But if I ascend, they can never take me away from you. They can chain you up. They can lock you in a dungeon. They can throw you to lions. They can do You know, History Channel shows that totally missed the point of redemption and why I came. They can write all kinds of books that say I don't exist, but they will never keep me from you. When I ascend what I am now, I'll be loosed upon all of creation and explode to the entire world. That is resurrection and ascension. And I hope it's starting to come together for you. In Acts 1.11, as explained by the angels, they say, This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. They're saying he's not evaporating. He's the same guy he always has been. This caused John Newton to write, Jesus, my shepherd, brother, friend, my prophet, priest, and king, my lord, my life, my way, my end, accept the praise I bring. Prophet, priest, and king is the way that we look at what Jesus did and bring it all together to make it more understandable. We organize it by these things, and we still do today. Jesus was an incredible prophet and an incredible teacher, and he brings the truth that sets us free. And because of resurrection and ascension, he still does that. He was an incredible priest because when people got near him, they met God. And because of resurrection and ascension, they still do. He was an incredible king because he's a liberating leader and because of resurrection and ascension he still is and when he ascends his prophetness and his priestness and his kingness become cosmic available to everyone everywhere at any time the angels say he is still a prophet priest and king but now it's released in a way that never has been before it has been magnified I mean, just think about Jesus as a teacher, right? He resurrects, and, and what? Now he's gone, and his teaching doesn't mean anything anymore? I mean, he had all wisdom and authority. In, uh, in John 8, 36, Jesus says, If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. And what? He left, and he can no longer set you free? Is, is that what's happening now? No. It's that it now becomes cosmic. It's not just stuck in this one place. It goes everywhere. Jesus is this kingly teacher that shows up and when people give up to the right to self-rule and come under his leadership, we actually truly become free. This is just like a fish is not free when it's not in water. A boat is not truly free when it's stuck in the dry dock. So we are not truly free until we come under the kingly reign of Christ. John Dunn, who's not a well-known poet, wrote this, Take me to you and imprison me, for I, except you enthrall me, never shall be free. Now, this morning, you may consider yourself a believer in Jesus, but not think you're a very good one. That probably explains a lot of our lives half the time. We feel like we're just not a very good one. Jesus says the least in the kingdom of God is greater than someone like John the Baptist. And somewhere in the world today, there is the weakest Christian. Somewhere in the world today, somebody has to be the dumbest Christian. It could be you. It could be me. I don't know. But statistically, by numbers, somebody on the world today has to be the dumbest Christian. Right? You agree? Okay, good. All right. But you know what? The resurrection and ascension, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because it's grace that saves because of resurrection and ascension. It is all about him. The gospel is not new laws. Oh, live your best according to these words, which we should, but that's not the law. The gospel is that Jesus lived the life you should have lived. Jesus died the death you should have died. And now he offers his resurrection as well. And so what does this mean? Well, maybe you're going through some terrible stuff in your life right now. Does tomorrow have to be the same as today? I say no, because I believe in resurrection because he ascended. Do you struggle with depression or anxiety? Will you always have to struggle with that? I say no, because there is resurrection because he ascended. You know, I was talking to somebody just this week, and they had an abortion at some place in their life, and they terminated this, and they're walking around with this black cloud. Maybe, maybe that's you. And you're thinking, is this going to follow me around the rest of my life or can God redeem your past? I believe God can redeem your past because I believe in resurrection because he ascended. I believe in new birth and some things can be left behind and new things can be born again. Maybe you're in a marriage and you just feel like you're slugging it out all the time. You just can't get through it. Does it always have to be this way? I say no because I believe in resurrection and I have seen marriages were born. And many times that means you gotta step out and you've gotta start to change. You. You don't always wait for the other person to change you. have got to start. See, because new birth is not just about babies. It's about new life. Resurrection says he is not here but is risen. Tomorrow doesn't have to be the same as today. And ascension says, why do you stand just looking up into heaven? Ascension says you're called to live on mission, to take these words of grace and truth and life and take them to everybody. Ascension and resurrection. And when you have eyes to see it, you become astounded at the power of God. Because resurrection is new birth, ascension is the proving of all that he has promised and the explosion of his power to make it happen. And when the first Christians tried to bring this together and put these things together to, to make people understand this, they said things like Colossians two thirteen and 14, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt, our record of indebtedness, that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. For them, resurrection and ascension was the canceling of debts, the worst oppressive kind of debts that weighs down your soul. Because resurrection sets you free, ascension bestows confident power. This is why people celebrated, because they used to have sacrifices and guilt and shame in the temple and animals and blood and more blood and even more blood. And now that debt is gone, it's nailed to a cross so you spread it around. It is resurrection and ascension. It is new birth and new life and new hope and new freedom from that voice in your head that says you are not good enough. Because you know what? You're not good enough. But Jesus is. And he gives his goodness to you. That's ascension and resurrection. Ascension shows Jesus has the power to love you exactly where you are. And resurrection means you have new freedom from debt and obligation. In Romans 6, 5, Paul says, For we have been united with him in a death like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Meaning there is victory of life over death. Resurrection is the death of death. And if the worst this life can throw at you is death, well, then you win. Ascension proves his his rightness and his strength and his majesty and his power. And if the worst your enemy can throw at you, Jesus already took, there's nothing else he can throw. And you are free. It's like a boxer who's punched, but he won't get knocked down. Just like that job steal. Boom. 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 He just takes it and keeps going. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty four. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? It's like, oh death, where is your left hook? Bam! Oh death, my grandma can't hit harder than that. Bam! That's what he's saying. The, de- the sting of death is sin, and the s- power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Resurrection. Eastern Orthodox writer Frederica Matthews Green says this, We believe that the central meaning of resurrection is victory. Thus, our traditional image is more vibrant and noisy and rings with a victorious shout. Or just sits there and looks at me. It rings with the victorious shout. For the people in the front row. Way to go. She goes on. And she says, the resurrection is victory over sin, death, and the devil, and victory over the dark forces that enslave us, despise us, and wish to destroy us. And ascension proves that Christianity is true. Tim Keller says that Christianity is still spreading, and Christians are idiots. The idiocy of Christians could be evidence that Christianity is untrue, but it is much more likely that is evidence that the ascension happened, because in spite of our idiocy, the gates of hell have not prevailed. Resurrection and ascension. Resurrection and Ascension. It's like a great 80s rock solo that just keeps going and going and going, like a horrible Bob Seger song that just will not end. It just keeps going and going and going. It is loud. It is boisterous. It is real. Because Resurrection and Ascension, when the Father sees us, he sees Jesus. Resurrection is about trusting Jesus. How does shame disappear and marriages get fixed and lives become changed? Faith in Jesus Christ. And ascension is that power given to us. And Easter, more than probably any other day in the year, people feel like, oh, I've got to go to church today. That's not what Easter is about. Easter is rooted in God's passion and his surety and his hope. And at Element, our hope for you is that you would live a life given over to the passion and hope of the risen and ascended Jesus and that you would begin to live a life on mission. Understanding resurrection. Understanding ascension. Understanding his leadership and living and walking in true freedom so everybody else comes to know and understand what ascension and resurrection actually means. And our prayer for you is when you walk out these doors this morning, your mind's just running with this stuff. And you're like, oh my goodness, I'm meant to live resurrection. How can I do that? Oh, the ascension, it proves it is true. I have the power to actually do this. You are to go out into the world like the lightning rods that the first apostles were. And begin to change everything around you. And this at Element is why every week we bring you to the point of communion. Because it's where you break that cracker like his body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine and the grape juice, reminding us of his blood that was shed for you and I. And then he goes on from this, and he rises from the dead, and he ascends. And that forgiveness, and then that new life, and then that power is then given to you and I. So, we as a people can live the life on mission that he actually calls us to with his strength and his power and his majesty. The band's going to come up. And as they do, we invite you guys, as I said, to take communion. Uh, the first song that they're going to do this morning is a song called To Him Who Sits on the Throne. It's really simple. If you've never heard it, there's like 10 words in the entire song. You can sing it. I trust you. <laughs> you know, even little Isaac could probably sing that song. Just like, yeah, you know. whatever. But we invite you guys to sing along and worship God in these songs so, and take me at the same time. There's going to be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer for anything, maybe you're living your life and you're in a spot where it's like, man, I wish I could understand this idea of a new life, of everything becoming brand new again. We well, you know They would love to pray with you about that. If you're just stuck in a spot, they'd love to talk to you about the understanding of his strength and his power and the ability to actually live on mission. Uh, there's offering boxes on the side and in the back. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship. We don't pass a plate. We give you the opportunity in response to what God has done to actually give. And we usually have food in the back. Uh, there's no food in the back this morning because, you know, we've got to get you out for the next service, and there's actually people sitting in the back. So not that we don't love you, but, hey, sometimes you've got to get your own breakfast. <laughs> so, and your kids. So what we recommend that you do in uh, living resurrection and ascension is that you would maybe grab some of the sermon notes on your smartphone or whatever, and you'd grab somebody sitting around you, invite them to go to a champagne brunch. See how much you can get in there before you forget whatever questions you're asking, but whatever. Uh, you know, and, and maybe have some breakfast with somebody else, maybe somebody new, maybe a friend you've known for a long time, and ask some of those questions and go through that and maybe put together this whole idea of resurrection and ascension and how you can actually begin to live that in community, on mission for his name, understanding that it's about new life and new birth and the beauty of the gospel that has been given to you and I through his glorious grace. Ascension and resurrection, because Jesus loves you. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we as a people would understand what it means to live resurrection and ascension. That we can understand that all the stuff in our lives, though it can Determine a little bit of who we are in our makeup. It does not determine who we have to be. And that all things can become new. And so Father, I ask that today. You would take our hearts. And our minds. And engage them both. Into a place. Where you are glorified by what we say and what we do by what our hearts are drawn to, and by what our lives see. And may you be glory and power and honor forever and ever and ever. Because you do sit on the throne. You have ascended and you call the entire creation to a place of new redemption. Have us understand our place in that living as you call us to, honoring you in all things and understanding the great joy that Easter represents. But also, more importantly, the great calling that you have placed within us so we would live that outside of these walls so all men would know the amazing joy and power of resurrection and ascension. Amen.